Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. And this is Zenith, that podcast where we put a grenade in our arm, because this week we watched Gambit. Written by Rob Holmes. Directed by George Spenton Foster. And aired on March 20th, 1979. Yeah, so this is the story that we were told to look forward to, at least for the Cal and Jenna bar fight that happens later on. We were Which told was last disappointing week for by, reasons we'll get to, reasons I'll get to. Miss Al Bingham in her email last week. So, And, and people, we have, ex- people have expressed, like, that Gambit is a pretty good story. Uh, and, yeah, that's what I would describe it as, like, pretty good, but not on the level of really any other Blake 7 episode. I mean, I think, me- I think, I think it's novel. I think <laughs> that's what makes it kind of good. But part of the reason why it's kind of good is that it's, it's like a novel concept for a Blake Seven episode. It's like completely different from the past like eleven weeks of episodes. Well, I remember when they got to Space City in Shadow, they mentioned how it was like a casino and sort of, it was Vegas like. And now mm-hmm. they're finally. This isn't Space City. This it's is Freedom City. Freedom City. <laughs> <laughs> And they're finally getting to go to a casino, and that's what I liked from this episode. I liked the Villa and Avon stuff a lot more than anything else. It was a very underwhelming casino, though, if I'm going to be honest. It looked like a, it, they had just set up a roulette wheel in the back room. Well, they had the roulette wheel. They had the chess... Speed chess. Speed chess area, and they had the stage, and they had some seats oh, off where to are the, the side. slots? Where's the blackjack? <laughs> These are classic casino staples. Yeah, what, what kind of uh, I find it what's Freedom be- City doing here? Like, I what, find it hard to believe that like slots went out of style <laughs> in the Blake Seven universe. Slots are like the easiest thing you can put in a casino. All easiest you do, thing you can put money into. Yeah, you put a coin in and you pull a lever <laughs> and lose. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's all slots are. You just put a coin in, pull a lever, and and walk away empty-handed. <laughs> wow, kind of like a microcosm of life. You put money in and then you walk away and you lose. <laughs> Jeez. But yeah, for me, this was the most middle-of-the-road Blake 7 episode. I didn't dislike it. Uh, the only episodes I can say I disliked are Orac and Redemption still. I didn't really think it was as good and as solid and as more than solid. You know, most Blake 7 episodes are great, but this to me was just all I right. I definitely think the story meanders a lot. Um, it definitely feels like it doesn't know where it's going a lot of the times. Well, and I, especially especially when it includes legitimate five-minute scenes of Servlan explaining what's about to happen and then seeing what's about to happen. Well, I, I agree with that <laughs> in terms of the scenes with Travis and Servlan and, and Blake, Jenna, and Callie and, and all of them. But I think the parts with Avon and Villa are great. Yeah. Because there's like, they're there, they have a goal, and there's a bunch of funny stuff that... Uh, in, you know, impedes them along the way, which is actually related to the other stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. But I just thought those parts were uh, a lot more enjoyable. Right. If, I mean, if only because you get to see Avon and Villa teaming up and like pulling this heist or whatever. <laughs> Not so much a heist, so much as just a con. A con. <laughs> They're just they're just straight stealing from the casino. It's uh, not there's not really a heist. Okay, yeah. Well, heist was the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Anyway, it starts off with. I don't actually remember how it starts. Uh, shoot, it, it doesn't. Oh, it begins at the bar. No, they kind of just talking, and then all oh, of a sudden right. Travis comes in wearing like a hat and a cape. No, because um, what's his name? The uh, prosthetic. Guy, Klein, 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 Klein. Yeah, it's Klein. 
Yeah, so Klein is is just hanging out at the bar, and this guy comes in mm-hmm. trying to get revenge on him. Right. Which doesn't work. Klein is able to pull a gun on him or whatever. Right. And, you know, I liked this setup. It was kind of, you know, Western-ish. I know Paul Darrow was a big fan of Westerns. That's why he always holds his Liberator gun like it's a it's an like old shooting. revolver. Well, it gets even more Western because Travis walks in wearing, like, a cowboy hat and a cape <laughs> like Clint Eastwood and yeah. The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you let that man go. And the guy's like, okay, I mean, I guess. Klein is the one who created Travis's arm. arm? I think it was so. just his arm, right? It wasn't just, his, it's just his arm. It wasn't his... No, it's just his arm. Okay. Because uh, I always thought that he had like a prosthetic eye of some sort, but later on in the story, Servalang calls it an eye patch, so I guess he just doesn't have an eye. No, well, remember when he was first introduced, uh, Servalang says that he could easily get his eye fixed, but he's like, no, I have to wear this as like a battle scar. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I was going to say, I thought Klein... And they haven't really touched on this as much as I thought they did, based on what I'd read previously, you know, before I even watched Series B. But I thought Klein was maybe mm-hmm. a person who, like, performed plastic surgery on Travis. Although, what we've gotten so far, I, I've heard there's more of an explanation as to why Travis looks different. But what we've gotten so far is just that he went, to went through, Yeah, he went through some reconditioning or whatever. And now he's back. <laughs> Again. Although, you know... He's shaved since last week. Well, like I've mentioned, again, still think Stephen Grief makes a better Travis, but uh, Brian Croucher's performance as Travis is getting better to me. And this episode contributes to it. Oh, he's a lot more subdued in this episode. Travis and Serverland's relationship in this episode takes a very weird turn because we find out that Serverland's trying to kill Travis for some reason, even though last week they were working together rather merrily. Well, you know, maybe some stuff happened off screen. Maybe this is... um, Maybe the... like you mentioned, more subdued nature of Travis in this episode is due to Rob Holmes. I mean, I know he's an older writer, you know, from an, from an mm-hmm. earlier era. He was writing in the early 60s and stuff where stuff was a lot more understated. Maybe. I was thinking it was possibly because the episodes got reorganized and... That's probably a And because of that, the, the relationship between Travis and Silverland got a little muddied along the way. Like maybe this episode was supposed to take place in, like immediately after Pressure Point maybe or... Or at least before hostage, uh, before hostage, when yeah, Travis and Silverland get back together, because it seems it seems like it's the the, the post pressure point. I'm gonna kill you, Travis. <laughs> Except in shoot, what was the one right after pressure point where they went on trial? Yeah, what was that one? Trial, trial. <laughs> Jeez, that's embarrassing. They like sort of reconcile at the end they could have put that at the end of this story and put this after trial and they didn't hostage, really reconcile at the end of trial they, they reconciled enough to be working together in last week's story voice from the past it was more hostage where they reconciled kind of but anyway travis i think is like the other guy told the buzz off or something yeah and i think he does I think he goes and sits down at the bar, which is like right there, actually. Yeah. He starts talking to the the bartender, who's actually a semi-important character. I forget her name, too. I barely remember anyone's name in this, to be honest, except for Krantor. Yeah, uh, there's, Krantor is cool. Chini. Yeah, that was, that was the bartender, Chini. And then Sevedic? It's not how you pronounce it, though. Se- it was a Krupa... Is like Kranto's second in command, I think, and and 
Shavadex like the kind of head of, head of security. And there's Darkly, which is actually who everybody is looking for. Everybody's looking for Darkly. Uh, Travis is looking for Darkly because he needs him to... I don't remember. He's not looking for Darkly for any major purpose right at the beginning. Later on, he's looking for Darkly because Darkly is the only one who can fix his arm. Right, and it turns out Klein is Darkly. And Blake and... Blake is looking for Darkly because Darkly allegedly knows the location of Star One. Yeah, in Countdown, Provine told Blake in his dying breath that Darkly knows the location of Star One. Right. So, so they've tracked Darkly down to Freedom City. Yeah. I think when we actually see the Liberator crew, Blake and Callie and Jenna have already beamed down. We, they're we, they're we about to. They're like, yeah. all right, beam us down, Avon, or whatever. Yeah. That's how, we're, that's how the, they first appear in this episode. And I was like, yeah, finally, Jenna and Callie are actually getting to beam down. So are Avon and Villa, though. Unbeknownst, <laughs> unbeknownst to Blake and everyone else. Because Avon's like, you know, Orac can operate the teleport from down on the planet. And I was like, wait, what? Well, because Villa wants to go down to Freedom City to gamble and do whatever else he wants to do. And they're like, oh, we're freaking stuck on the Liberator. Yeah, but then Avon's like, but Orac could operate the teleporter from on the planet. Zen, by the way, doesn't appear in the story at all. So yeah. Peter Tunnenham doesn't get credited I don't think, as voice of Zen. I don't think the bridge actually appears in this at all. I don't think so. They I think just the, the teleporter room. Yep. So they come up with this con to this make... This ingenious plan. <laughs> which it, is just to use ORAC to rig the games at the casino. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't rig the games. Just apparently the games are run by a computer, so ORAC can predict the outcome oh, of yeah. all the games. Yeah, that's what it is. But Orac is a little big to smuggle in. But apparently Orac has this amazing, unbeknownst to everyone else, ability <laughs> to shrink himself down to like any size. But it, it, uh, there's a time limit, so... Yeah, they, which depends on the size that he shrinks himself to. Yeah, so Avon turns Orac on and convinces him sneakily to shrink himself down. He's like, I don't believe you can do it, Orac. Orac's like, It's kind of like me. how Aladdin gets, his, gets out of the Cave of Wonders for free in Aladdin. Because Aladdin's like, you're a genie, huh? Well, I bet you can't get me out of here. Oh. I don't believe it. So he gets him out and the genie's like, well, you used up one of your wishes. And Aladdin's like, nope, didn't actually wish for that. You just did it. <laughs> it's kind of what happens here. Villa's like, I don't believe it. And Avon's like, yeah, I don't believe it either. And Orac's like, yeah, well, watch me. And he transforms <laughs> into a little tiny box. A little tiny, small, clear box with blinking lights, which apparently he can sustain that form for two hours and eight minutes, I think he says. It's just a miniature version of, of him. Basically, yeah, basically, just a more simple version. I mean, it's 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 supposed to be a just a smaller version of him, but it's the the reason why it's a more simple version is because like it's a smaller prop, so you can't fit yeah. all the same type of stuff in it. You could try, you could try, but it looks fine as it is. So they go down to the casino. The casino is run by this guy named Krantor. All of Freedom City basically is. I think we meet. We first meet Krantor when he's talking with Serverland. Serverland is for the first time in basically every episode of the show wearing not white. She's wearing red. Yeah, she's wearing, again, a sort of a Star Wars-like outfit, or at least a prequel Star Wars-like outfit, which has a giant um, plume collar? Th- collar, I guess. I mean, it was... Just imagine a peacock's, like... Plumage. Plumage. But around just, her neck. But just red and spiky. And around her neck. Yeah. It's also rather revealing. It's a very deep cut dress. The cut goes uh, a little bit below her boobs, I guess. So it's a rather revealing dress. Yeah. She's talking with Krantor about 
She's just talking about why she's there. And Tranto's like, you're here on official business. She's like, no, I'm here unofficially, but I'm here unofficially on, on official business. <laughs> Tranto's like, I don't she, get it. Yeah, she's here unofficially on business because Crantor offers her some drug-like thing. She's like, yeah, no, I don't do drugs on the job. It wasn't Shadow. Unlike Vila. <laughs> what, Villa? Yeah. What, what does Villa do? He does Soma. Oh, well, I mean, that's just, uh, I, yeah. I, I don't know what Soma is. Some drug that makes you feel happy. <laughs> Villa also does alcohol, so. Um, all right. <laughs> alcohol is technically a drug. Yeah, sure. So they're, Servalan and Krantor are talking about. We should explain what Krantor looks like, too. He's wearing all, like, silver He's wearing, like, silver face paint makeup, but he's got, like, blush on, too. And he's dressed in sort of like a, I don't know, late 18th century French style. Yeah, with a big wig. Like a French king or something. Like a powdered wig and everything. And his assistant, uh, Krupa... Is dressed similarly. similarly with like a big headpiece, and Kranto is like, "Is that period specific or period appropriate outfit, Krupa?" And he's like, "Yes, it is." And Kranto is like, "Okay, I'll give you a pass now." <laughs> yeah, he's dressed similarly, but he doesn't have like bright silver face paint on, but he has like the makeup and the powdered wig and yeah. the. And this is all happening in Krantor's like lounge or like his room or whatever, where he has a mirror that connects to various casino cameras. Yeah, and, and apparently has Skype installed because he can like, <laughs> talk to people through it. Yeah. <laughs> the effect of him like wiping up and down to turn the mirror on and off I thought was really well done and well realized. I thought it was really cool. Comes with like a, a sound effect like or something like that, doesn't it? If <laughs> I remember correctly. Yeah, so I, I actually forget why Servalan is, you know, there in the first place. Eventually, like, it becomes because eventually it's because she wants to off Travis. But I don't remember why everyone's there in the first place either. To begin, to, to be honest, I don't know why Travis is finding looking for Darkly to begin with. I don't know why Serverland's there to begin with. But their plans evolve because eventually Serverland finds out Travis is there and Travis is looking for Darkly. I think Serverland is actually also looking for Darkly because she believes Darkly knows the location of Star One and if Darkly knows the location of Star One that's a security leak so she's yeah. there to kind of plug the security leak I think leak. that's why she's there and oh, she, right. she's, she's also asking there. for Darkly and she's like I don't know where she, Darkly is she's also there as we find out a little bit later she's there because she wants to shut down Freedom City oh yeah that too <laughs> yeah because I know this is like quite a bit later but I'm going to explain it now because I don't remember exactly where it appears but Servalan comes up with this massive plan and explains it to her assistant in like a, a solid five minute scene. And it's drawn out by the fact that the assistant is like, yeah, I get, no, I don't get it. And Servalan's <laughs> like, let me try explain it simpler. And then he's like, yeah, no, no I don't get it yet. But <laughs> well, Servalan's plans have always been really convoluted. Yeah, but they don't have to explain it three times. <laughs> That's like a clear time padding scene in, in my opinion. Sure. But her plan is like, her plan later on is she puts a grenade in Travis's arm and she wants Travis to find Doc Lee. And then when Doc Lee goes to work on his arm, uh, the grenade will blow up and will kill them both and remove both of them. Yeah, that but doesn't she, work because Travis immediately realizes there's something wrong with his arm. But she came up with a backup plan, which is that if that doesn't work with Travis and Doc Lee meeting up, uh, she's going to reveal to Krantor who Doc Lee is and then if Krantor knows who Dockley is. He won't necessarily kill Krantor, but it'll give 
the Federation reason to shut down Federation uh, Freedom City because Krantor is harboring Dockley and then they can like throw Krantor and Dockley in jail basically. Right, which is, you know, Servaland wants to shut down Freedom City because it's like this independent air space station, I guess, that's on the fringes of the Federation. I was imagining it as like a planet, but... I thought, I mean, I just thought it was like Space City. We never actually see like an exterior shot of it. So you sure we don't see We any? might, but if we did, I don't remember. Because maybe I'm just uh, conflating it with Space City, but I thought we saw, you know, a shot of it that kind of looked like a space station, like Space City. Well, Space City, we saw that big uh, space station. Yeah. So I might be just be, I might just be thinking of that, but, you know, I just thought it was Yeah, but Freedom similar. City is better than Space City, according to Villa. He like yeah. says that when they're talking on the ship, deciding to go down. He's like, "Freedom <laughs> right. City is like Space City, but like a thousand times better." <laughs> well, now they do go down there. They go down to the casino, which, like we mentioned, um, has this stage. We get a, a you know a couple minutes of speed chess, which establishes you know what this is. Yeah, we get an establishing shot of speed chess by this guy who's dressed like a pirate. <laughs> he plays speed chess with this. I guess they with have Deep like, Roy. Yeah, Deep Roy. Apparently, <laughs> who this... like has low key one of the greatest careers in all of acting. <laughs> like the amount of stuff he's been in in like a minor or like off to the side yeah, role. He played is all just the Oompa Loompas and Willy Wonka in the child. Crazy. The new one. He played the snail rider in the ending story, and he's been in Star Wars and yeah. and uh, a he's bunch got a of other stuff. Career. Yep. I think he's he's still alive and yeah, he and is. acting. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I believe so. And the speed chess is like, this is real sketchy. Because you can challenge the resident speed chess champion. And then if you lose, the you die. Life, yeah. You so they're die. Both, they're if in you like win, electric... you get all the money. But if you lose, you die. Right. They're in like electric chairs or something. And if you lose, you, right, like we mentioned, die. And you only have five seconds to make your moves, which is how I play chess anyway. <laughs> Don't think I mean, I've won a game in my life. There's actual speed chess. Yeah. Uh, where you you have to make your moves that quick. And if you've ever watched, like, Speed Chess World Championships, it's crazy because these guys have, like, 50 opening moves memorized, and they're just moving pieces, bouncing back and forth between the clock, moving pieces without even yeah. taking a second to think because the opening game of a chess match is, like, one of the most predictable things in the chess match. The first five to ten moves, you can pretty much memorize opening moves and it's just crazy going back and forth and they're not even thinking, they're just moving back and forth between the pieces and the clock. It's actually kind of exciting to watch. You wouldn't believe that chess can be like really exciting to watch, but it's... Yeah, I mean, that's why I, I just play chess like that anyway. I always take like five seconds or less for every single move because I just find it so boring that I want to get it over with as quickly as possible. I mean, to some people, it's a legitimate strategy because you can start to overthink if you think too hard about your move and it's easy to just make a move like make the first move that comes to mind sometimes it's like a legitimate and effective strategy all right i mean never works for me so (laughs) (laughs) works out okay for me well because i just make every move in like three seconds and the other person thinks for like a minute or two and makes their move and then i just make another one in like one or two seconds (laughs) get screwed over by that but anyway this guy loses and dies yeah (laughs) Um, the, Avon and the, Villa, I think, are watching this. The, the MC or whoever this is is actually quite annoying. The probably lady. One, right, probably one of the. I think I, I normally don't say characters are annoying, but I don't know what kind of accent she was 
sort of doing or what this was. She was really overacting, in my opinion. This there, were, there was a lot of like overacting in this, and I feel like a lot of the actors in this, or a lot of the story-specific actors at least, were like from an older generation that was a lot more like performative in their acting. I interpreted it as they were overacting, and I was actually okay with the overacting because they're in this... Because they're actors themselves, like, in the story? Yeah, because in the story, they're these way over-the-top characters in this this casino. Well, Krantor was fine, because Krantor was cool, but... And they're, like, all playing up these crazy characters in this casino. It's, like, designed to be this, this mimicry of, like of like a seedy earth casino but like smashed with like seven different other things it's it's like a nostalgia bar but in the future where everything is like they've got everything wrong so sure blake jenna and callie are actually kind of incidental to the story well they hate to say it but they wander around a lot finding things out and they go to the bar now, and they discuss some stuff with Cheney. They try to find Dockley, but she's not, you know, giving it away. Even though I think she knows that Klein is Dockley, because no one knows who Dockley is. Dockley is—he's uh, just somewhere like in the area, and that's yeah. why. That's another reason why I—I I guess I thought this was a space station because if it was a planet, like a sem- even a semi like small one. Mm-hmm. They've narrowed it down pretty well. Like a space station is going to be, it can be big, but it's going to be smaller, and they've they're able to narrow it down to like this one location. Maybe. I mean, I'm just imagining that it's like they're in one casino within Freedom City. The Freedom City is like a lot bigger of a complex than just this, and they've narrowed it down to just this kind of building. But maybe not. Maybe Krantor runs all of Freedom City, and it's yeah. I think Krantor does run all of Freedom City, if I remember correctly. Classic Krantor. But, I mean, freedom it's, it's supposed to be like Las Vegas, right? Like a yeah. casino town. Yeah, basically. Except so there's Las actually Vegas more run to Las, by one guy. There's, there's actually more to Las Vegas. Surprisingly, there's actually like Vegas suburbs. I mean, it's supposed to be like early Vegas, like 60s Vegas. Like run by the mob Vegas. Yeah, like run by the mob Vegas where the mobs built casinos to basically hide their money and launder the money through legitimate channels. And basically, every mob who owned a casino hated the other mobs, and it's, it was just seedy and a den of crime. And the you know, it's a sin still city is, basically. Still is. Yeah, but it's not owned by the mob, allegedly. Yeah, <laughs> it's owned by different mobs now. They're called companies. Blake, Jenna, and Callie are like quite incidental to the story at hand, really, which is a bummer. But we do get Jenna and Callie in a bar fight, which I don't actually remember why well, they had to do cause, that because they need to sneak into like this back oh, right. area. Blake has to sneak and into it's, the back and area. It's, it's it's a diversion basically. So we cut to we, we cut from some scene back to them having this fight, and I was like, whoa, what the heck? What just what happened to uh to pit Jenna and Callie against each other? Like, I was interested to find out, and I thought it was going to be something that you know continued on for the you know maybe the next episode or two, but no, it was actually just a ruse to get Blake into the uh, back room. It was also a really short fight. Yeah, Jenna's was. like, hey, you scum, fight me. And Callie's like, damn you. Oh, it's a more, it's, 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 it's more explicit word than yeah. scum. <laughs> so they start beating each other and they get thrown out of the bar and like, screw you guys, we're never coming back here. <laughs> screw you guys, I'm going home. And then as soon as they walk out, they start laughing and they're like, hey, good job. <laughs> good job, friendo. 
Which is, I mean, that's that's interesting because we never really see Jenna and Callie getting along. I mean, they're the only two female members of the crew. You'd think they'd form some sort of closer friendship than they really do. And maybe they do. Maybe it's like off screen or maybe it's explored more in the audios. Mm-hmm. Maybe they... Maybe it's not. Maybe they don't like each other, but it's not something we ever really explore. You know how how good friends they are, or or not on the on the show. Well, there's these allusions to a greater friendship in this scene, where they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah. that was good." Yeah, in this scene at least, there's allusions to a greater friendship between Villa and Avon, like <laughs> in this story, all, in this story and, and you know, arguably throughout the show. Well, yeah. Speaking of Avon and Villa, Villa is winning big on yeah, the roulette wheel. <laughs> Uh, I'm surprised that a roulette wheel can be controlled by a computer and they can decide where the ball's going to roll because I feel like a roulette wheel is one of the hardest things to rig nowadays unless you weight the ball. Uh, but Maybe they're using magnets or something. I don't know how that would work. Maybe but. the wheel is like electronically powered. But like you throw the ball, like a person throws the ball in roulette, which is why it's hard to rig because there's like a human component that... There's a there's like a, a a huge amount of randomness in roulette. So, but they're doing it, and Villa's winning big. Krantor finds out, and he's like, "Oh no!" Yeah, they're using him. the teleport bracelets to do this. Avon just holds the bracelet up to Orac, and he communicates through the bracelet to Villa's <laughs> bracelet into Villa's ear. Apparently, you can adjust the volume of those bracelets because normally, when they talk through those bracelets, <laughs> it comes out at like ear deafening volumes <laughs> that everybody in the room can hear. Yeah, Krantor realizes that Villa raises the bracelet to his ear every time he right before he bets basically yeah because they're watching on the mirror because cooper comes in and he's like yo some guys won like four million credits on the roulette wheel and Krantor's like wait what the hell that's too big because Krantor's like big winnings are good for business and then cooper's like four million dude and he's like oh yeah that's too big and then while they're watching on the mirror Krantor realizes that villa's raising his left hand but he doesn't know how how that's helping Villa to rig the game, basically. Right. So what's Servaland doing at this point? Putting a grenade in Travis's yeah, arm. she's up to something. Travis has been snooping around. Well, she captures Travis, and she puts the grenade in his arm. And then she explains right, get, her plot we, to her Simon uh, Art Garfunkel-looking assistant, who's <laughs> not played by the same guy as the other Art Garfunkel <laughs> on this show. Yeah, I, I guess I was going to explain like how she puts the grenade in his arm, but it's essentially that she just pulls the pin on like this explosive and mm-hmm. puts it in his arm so that if he, so that when it Doc opens Lee up. opens up the arm to examine it, it'll... It just blows up blow. in their face. <laughs> Tra- she does this while Travis is knocked out. Mm-hmm. And she's like, this is a perfect plan, it's going to work. But as soon as Travis wakes up, he realizes that there's something in his arm. <laughs> I mean, I guess when you think about it, this is something that you would notice, right? Like it's uh, an explosive, so it's not going to be like that. It's going to affect the weight of your arm, right? I mean, I don't know how heavy things like. Well, I don't. First of all, I don't know how heavy like a traditional grenade is because I've never held one. Obviously, I don't know how heavy how heavy like plastic explosives are either. Probably not that heavy. But yeah, the but weighting like, is going to be all off. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, right. The weight when distribution is going to be all off when it's something as like precise and necessarily well-crafted as like a prosthetic arm you're gonna notice like a weight difference yeah i don't really know what Tra- uh, serverland was thinking with this i don't know how she thought that travis wasn't going to notice this or maybe she wanted i i think part of it was she wanted travis to notice because she wanted travis to go to Dockley and be like hey there's something wrong with my arm right and i mean even if he does notice it and again 
Uh, since this episode was honestly not that entertaining to me, I don't remember how they resolved the explosive in his arm. But it's like, just not primed. No, oh, that's well, legit. It they well. when they open the arm, Blake grabs it. and He's like, "Well, we're on snot arms. So we're all safe." <laughs> it's not armed. <sighs> but like, even if he did realize it was in his arm, what could he have done about it? Right, other than like not fixing his arm. Which is still Throw like... Throw his arm away, I guess. <laughs> Cut off his <laughs> arm. I mean this. Well, he can just take it off. He can just remove it and disconnect it. I like, guess get a, new, get a new prosthetic arm. Yeah. Just go to Darkly and be like, build me a new arm. That could have been something interesting later on is like Blake, conf- Blake and Jen and Callie confront Travis and Travis has taken off his arm because he wants to get a totally new arm now and he has to like fight them with just one arm. Oh, I was going to say Blake, Callie, Jenna could take Travis's old arm and then, like, I don't know what they would do with it. They could, like, analyze it or hack into it. And then when Travis gets a new arm, they can, like, hack into it using the knowledge they gained from the old arm. Or but it's just an arm, so what? Turn it on himself. Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? <laughs> Except he has a gun in his arm. So why are you shooting yourself, Travis? Well, you mean a gun in his hand or his hand? Yeah. Oh, okay, I didn't know if you were referring to like a gun in his hand or like the explosive in his arm. So, but they don't go through with that. Yeah, no, they don't. Any of that, really? Not that any of that would actually be good. I mean, more okay. more saying it is just a joke. But Krantor sends all of his guards to go look for Dockley. So then he goes down to the floor and tells Cooper, "Hey, arrest." Rest Villa. We got to make sure that he doesn't walk out of here with five million in credits. Mm-hmm. And Cooper's like, "Dude, we got no guards to arrest him. You sent literally all of them to go find Darkly. <laughs> right, We've got no one." Quick question: Why is, does Servalan put the explosive in Travis's arm in Crantor's room? Why does that take place there? I don't remember why. It's not Crantor's room. It's a. It's another room. Crantor's room has a big circular bed, and the room that they're in has this purple floating. Huh. rectangular bed well it looked pretty similar it looks similar but it's not the same room yeah i guess that's where servaland was staying probably somewhere near Grantor's place i guess well, it's pro- yeah. probably in the casino hotel or whatever because this is Grantor's like office essentially yeah and also servaland the they like try to they, they do explain away why servaland is explaining her plan to her assistant because she knows that Grantor has a listening device in the room and right. she wants Krantor, right. Krantor actually installs the bug on Travis yeah and she wants Krantor to know that Travis is going off to Dockley so that he sends his guards off to Travis and Dockley so that if the grenade doesn't work I guess I can kill them or whatever so, so I think Blake Jenna, Blake and, Jenna and, and Callie, Callie actually also follow Travis well they they find out that Travis is there because they see him like lurking in the shadows or something <laughs> they're like damn he must be looking for Dockley too Doc, uh, Travis basically confronts Chino, the bartender, and is like, you got to tell me where Dockley is. How many times have I saved his life? Twice. You owe me at least that much. You should tell me where he is. And Chino's like, yeah, Dockley's Klein. He's like hiding out in the sewers. Not the he, sewers, but like the maintenance area. It was the cargo ship bay or something. Yeah, because he's leaving. Yeah, he's trying to get out of Freedom City. He's booking a passage on a smuggler's ship. I don't well, know. Basically. Or he's just going to stow away. <laughs> so they all wind up there at some point. Meanwhile, Villa has apparently been drugged and agreed to play speed chess. Well, he's greeted by Crantor. Crantor goes down and personally congratulates him for all his winnings, takes him off into a room, mm-hmm. and 
yet drugs him somehow. Because Villa comes back in like a dazed state and agrees to play speed chess with all his winnings on the line. Yeah. And his life on the line. <laughs> and Villa's like, I don't want to. And then Kranto's like, you're going to have to forfeit all your money if you don't. And then Avon's like, just play. Orak will give you the moves. And Villa's like, yeah, but this guy's not a computer. And, and Avon's just like, just play. There's this funny scene when Villa comes back with Kranto and Kranto's like, Villa has decided to play speed chess. And then Avon just spits out his food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah really like that gif i've used that as a gif multiple times so they play speed chess and they actually w- they go to a draw Krantor had said beforehand if they play to a draw then he'll let villa he'll double villa's winnings if villa draws or wins but otherwise villa dies he's basically playing double or nothing really yeah with his but, life yeah deep roy dies now does he i think so as far as i can remember Krantor never actually says that his chair has like an electric huh Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm just making that Because when he was explaining it earlier, he just said that if the other guy wins, he makes off with his winnings. But if the house speed chess player wins, he get, his only prize is the satisfaction of pulling the lever to kill the other dude. Huh. All right. Yeah, maybe. I guess I was just making that up somehow. Meanwhile. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the scene. It's sort of done via, like, you're looking at this electronic display of a mm-hmm. chessboard. Yeah. And they're... And then you kind of see their hands. There's a shot of just their hands pushing buttons. Yeah. Apparently right next to each other. They just beep, 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 beep. And it's kind of tense because you don't know what's going to happen. And then, I, I liked it. It reminded me of the ship battle in Seek, Locate, Destroy in that it's not actually something that's that exciting. But like mm-hmm. they, the way it's shot and the music during it and the way it's just done makes it somewhat, in, not, not somewhat enjoyable. It makes it enjoyable. It makes it exciting. It makes it interesting. Yeah. So... I liked it at least. I liked it. I thought it was one of the better scenes of this story. Yeah, like I mentioned, I I thought all the scenes with Villa and Avon were some of the better ones, and Krantor, I guess. In the cargo hold, Travis is talking with Doc Lee. Blake shows up with a gun trained on him. They talk for a bit, and then uh, Doc Lee's just like, yeah, I don't actually know the location of of Star One. <laughs> I, well, I, it's, a, it's a big rumor that everybody thinks that I took a brain print because Doc Lee reveals that what he was doing was he was erasing the minds of people who worked on Star One. And apparently the reason why everybody thinks he knows where Star One is is because Because people, he was doing that. <laughs> yeah, because people think he took like a copy of someone's brain print and found out where Star One is from it. And he said, no, well, I actually didn't do that. I just erased people's minds, except for the final guy. I did take a brain print of him, but I never read it to find out where Star One is. Right. Like, and this this makes sense to me, I guess. You wouldn't want to find out... You wouldn't want to have this information that could either be tortured out of you or used against you to be put to death or something. Yeah. Like, the Federation could easily have come back and be like, well, you know where Star 1 is now, so we have to kill you. And or, the thing is, they did do that. They did come back and were like, we're going to have to kill you now because Servaland's there right, to kill him. Right, Well, it's not... She's not there on official Federation business, but, you know, basically that's what's happening. And then Blake's like, damn, well, where is this... this brain print you took because he apparently took his brain print of this other psychosurgeon and they both escaped together from the federation and apparently this brain print is on some planet being worn around like a tribal leader's neck as like a necklace yeah i didn't remember that actually but i mean all right what do you think of of what's going on here because it seems like they're getting closer to star one like in a step-by-step process right each episode leads them to where they're going to get the next clue basically they're definitely going to end up at star one yeah in the end yeah we've only got two episodes left this season 
Yeah, but I mean, like... Next you, week, they find the brain's print, and then the week after, they go to Star One. That's probably I, what's going to happen. I know, but, like, what do you think of, like, finding out about Star One, and then finding out about Doc Lee, and now finding out about this, and, you know, in the next episode, they're probably going to find out where it is, and I they mean, go I there. I mean, I think it works. The like, season is, like, two distinct kind of searches, right? The first one is the search for Federation control, and the second half is the search still for Federation control, but now specifically for Star One, because they know it's at Star One. I think it works uh, because the two searches are very different. In the beginning, they know where they're going. They know they're going to Earth. They just need to get there, and they need to get through the Federation to get there. And yeah, the second half, for it too. they're told about this mysterious location called Star One. They think they're already prepared. They just have to figure out where to go, not only to try to stop the Federation, but I guess in a way to avenge Gan. But Star One is set up as this super mysterious location that basically nobody knows where it, it is. So I think they have to do something where they do like a very stepwise finding out where it is. And I think it helps like build up the mystique of what Star One is. Because we don't even know if it's like a space station or a planet or yeah. maybe even something different. Right. Well, I, I think it works in concept what they're doing, right? Because of what you just said, basically. Mm-hmm. But the way they do it, especially in this episode where it's like they just get there and they have to find the key piece of information and they wander around until they do that mm-hmm. and then it's like oh i don't have it someone else has it there's no real like i i, I would like this like in concept of finding out like a little bit of information every time if there was if there's some like bigger twist to it well like i said we don't know what star one is now if they do the same twists as they did with control on earth that it's not actually there then we'd be upset but they could still do something really big with it like they could do some big twist about why no one knows where Star One is because, because sure. of what it is. Maybe it's not like Federation control. Maybe it's a weapon of some sort. You know. Well, well, sure, but I'm talking about a bigger twist or just something more going on in the episode. Because in terms of Blake, Jenna, and Callie in this, they they wander around looking for the clue and they get the clue and that's it. I mean, it would be very easy and interesting if they did something where like. The reason why they're getting all these pieces is because maybe Servalan has been trying to lead them towards Star One for some greater purpose, or Travis has been trying to lead them towards Star One. And maybe they're using these clues to try to get them to locations where they can kill them. But in the process, if they can't, they have like some big backup plan at Star One. Yeah, I mean, again, we'll have to see what happens. Right. I mean, I think it's something we'll have to judge when it's com- it's it's like an overarching plotline. We'll have to judge when it's complete. Yeah, like how they totally dropped the ball in key to time in season 16 of Doctor Who. <laughs> so. Which was like right before this, actually. They'd actually just yeah, screwed it all up in Armageddon Factor. Yeah, because this is airing after Armageddon yeah, Factor. A already month aired. or two, a couple weeks or something like that. A couple weeks. And then the story ends. Everybody beams back up to the spaceship, basically, to the Liberator. Bill and Avon try to hide the money as quickly as they can. They're hiding the money in like the teleporter room in the chair. (laughs) And then they put Orak on the table and he's like still small. So they're like standing in front of him. So Blake. Like casually with their arms, like trying to cover Orak. (laughs) And they're like, so. They give the most suspicious response when Blake asks them what they did. They're like, yeah, we just just relaxed and played chess. (laughs) We We just played chess. Yeah. Didn't go down to the casino or anything. I mean, it's what true. They did. They did that? just play chess. Well, they didn't just play chess. They also okay, they played more the than roulette. Play chess. And then Orak transforms into regular size. And then Avon and Villa kind of give each other a relieved look and then it ends. <laughs> Except Orak looks like he's just been dumped on top of the teleporter pad. He's like sitting on top of all the controls, which I thought was, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of like a funny image. I didn't think they gave each other a relieved look. I thought they gave each other like an, oh, shoot, we're going to get found out look. 
Maybe. I was more paying attention to the, the humorous way that Orac was kind of just dumped on top of the control panel. Yeah. Kind of a sitcom moment to end on again. Yeah, again, you know, as usual. Kind of growing no, on me, though, no, that no. it ends on a silly sitcom moment. I kind of like that after, like, you get this really dark episode and then you end on this really upbeat, lighthearted note. Sometimes it feels out of place because it's like they just ignored the events of the episodes. Well, I don't think it ever really feels out of place. I like it. The The ones that feel out of place to me are the ones where they're just like, all right, let's go, standard by six, and it just ends. Yeah, but I think that worked in, like, uh, it worked in Pressure Point, I think. Like, a really sad ending worked because Ganna just died. Sure. but I mean, you think back to, like, Series A, a lot of them, and I'm not even going you know, to name specific ones because it's multiple ones and I don't mm-hmm. even necessarily remember, but a lot of them are just like, all right, let's get moving. And they just end it. Yeah. Which, I, I guess that's okay. I mean, I don't know. It's not. It's not something awful. It's not, like terrible that they do that it's not like a doesn't ruin the show but i don't know i just i'm more now since we've gotten both of these types of endings right the sitcom ones and the ones where it just sort of ends yeah i'm more inclined to like the, the funnier the ones, ones. Yeah. but you know whatever i mean yeah i like them i just don't like them if they like ignore the events of the episode which has only happened once or twice and i can't remember when but like if a sitcom ending would have felt super out of place in Pressure Point, <laughs> Gan's dead and then Blake just goes, well, let's get back to work, everybody. Back to your stations or something. Yeah, I don't necessarily even remember how Pressure Point ends, but... It ends with Blake telling them to set a course out of the solar system maximum oh, right. speed. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, but it wasn't sitcom yeah. Can you imagine if Blake was like... Well, I guess we gotta get out of here now, guys. And then it just ends. Dun 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 dun. I mean, that's basically what it is. Yeah, but except the delivery is like way uh, different. All right. Overall, I didn't think that this episode was much to write home about. Again, I think this is one of the weaker episodes of the show overall. Well, I guess that kind of leads into our rankings. Who's Why don't you go, go first? <laughs> okay. Because I always go first. All right, I'll go first. My ranking is uh, the first time we see the kind of lady come out onto the stage, there's like a, a shimmer curtain. Uh, my ranking is that shimmer curtain. Well, that's that's the, the sort of background to yeah. the, the set. So it's like a it's like a shimmer curtain. You know, it, it serves its purpose. It hides her. It looks kind of gaudy and fantastic from, from a distance. And it's functional. But it's really like nothing to write home about. You can clearly tell it's just strips of like long reflective material hung from the ceiling. And other than that, it's it's really just like it's just there. It's it doesn't it's just there. That's all I can say. It's just there. Kind of yeah, like my, this episode. Yeah, my, my rating is actually similar. My rating is Krantor's assistant's outfit, right? Because you know, from Krooper. a distance Yeah, Krooper, I didn't remember his name. But, you know, again, I guess, like, yeah, from a distance or just in general, like, a pretty solid outfit, period-specific, mm-hmm. looks like this sort of yeah, 18th-century French thing. But, like, as Crantor mentions, is it really period-accurate? Is it really all it's cracked up to be? Is it really, when you get down to it and examine it, is it really something that works that well? And, you know, I just, I don't know. And, you know, maybe it's but not. But it's a question to be asked. Right. And maybe it's just a middle-of-the-road outfit. Maybe it's not as maybe good as. Maybe it's just okay. Yeah, exactly. And that's okay. It's okay to have stories that are just okay. Yeah, but overall, so what Blake 7 has provided overall is standard that's more than just okay. Yes. Which is why this one feels a lot weaker than I guess it really should be. Yeah, in isolation, I think this, in any other show, this would be considered a good story, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We've just seen a lot stronger from this show before. 
and from Robert Holmes before. Yeah, it's almost like our expe- expectations are a lot higher now. And yeah. to have something that comes in under those expectations is like, oh, okay. You know? Yeah. That's okay, though. You can email us at thedoctordecadivegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants, love letters, your thoughts on Gambit. You can find us on YouTube at Decorative Vegetable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith Blake 7 Podcast. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show. Check us on Facebook, Trust Your Doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching The Keeper. But until then, the end.